I heard that if you're struggling for words to say to someone who's battling mental illness, let those be the words. Hey, I don't really know what to say, but I just want to let you know that I'm here for you. Hey, lovebirds. Today, we are talking about love and depression. The effects of depression on our ability to love, on how we show up for our loved ones, how to break up with someone who's depressed, what self-care looks like for the person struggling with depression. We talk about the effects of depression on sex drive and desire, how to deal with the effects of medication, the importance of acknowledging your feelings and welcoming them. And we give some tips on how to navigate love and depression from the side of someone who is depressed and also on those who are depressed. And just to be clear, this is not a substitute for therapy. This is not a way for you to diagnose yourself. This is one person's experience with depression and mental illness. And if you are struggling, please, please, please reach out for help. I know that it can be really hard, but talk to a professional, a psychiatrist, a therapist, people in the mental health advocacy and support profession, anybody. Just reach out if you're struggling. And if you're really, really struggling, you can always call 911. My guest today is Joelle Puyat. She is a part-time journalist. She works for a mental health organization, and she also shares with us her experience of loving while dealing with depression. My name is Sean Galanos, and this is The Love Drive. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Could you please introduce yourself? Yeah. My name is Joelle Pouliot. I am a part-time journalist and I work for a mental health organization called Mouvement Santé Mentale Québec. What? Okay. First of all, what made you reach out to me? I think I wish I had seen or heard something like what we're going to talk about today. Right. And I I saw articles about it online. I read about it a lot when I was suffering from it and then afterwards. And I think what really helped me in my depression was to kind of act as a reporter in it. So I was like doing research about it and trying to find more about it and kind of distance myself from it so that I wouldn't identify with it. But I think there are ways to talk about it that are positive. What can we do with it and what solutions can you have in your relationships? Here is the reality of living with depression and being in a relationship with other people. Here are some of the challenges that you might encounter, and this is what you know of it. Yeah, because I think one of the first things you want to do when you have depression is to isolate yourself. It's the last thing you should do, but it's the first reflex that you have. Your mind is telling you to stay in bed. It's telling you that you're not cool enough for your friends, that you're such a loser because they're all working and you can't work anymore, or 
sometimes your concentration so bad that you can't even read a book or watch a movie with a friend? And how do you tell someone that? And I think people try to help. They, they try their best as friends and family to, to reach out and spend time with you, but they don't know what the best thing to do to help you would be. So there's some awkward moments and I wish my environment had maybe heard a podcast like this on how to love someone with depression. Depression seems like a illness of isolation. Yeah. And I think even when you're not in an episode, it's still isolating because, well, I'll give you an example. We're talking about dating a little bit. If you go on a date, you always wonder, when do I tell the person? Um, do I tell the person? Do they need to know? When do they need to know? And so sometimes you're having a really nice time with people but that's all you're thinking about, right? And just the act of thinking about those things can be isolating. Um, and then when you're in the middle of a depression, you could be surrounded with a hundred people and feel very alone. Alone in a crowded room. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's horrible. I mean, you feel alone because you're just so deep down into your own mind. And I mean, brains are awesome, but they can really be a torturous place as well. So, third date? <laughs> I've had, I did a few social experiments with that. So there's a few times where I told the person on the first date, and then I thought, okay, that's a little too soon. And then second date was if I was really comfortable with the person and we had talked about deep issues. And then third date is like, I can't really wait more than that because if you're not cool with that, then we're wasting our time. I'm always terrified about it. And then most people are really cool. Most people. I think what gets confusing with people is they associate it with emotions and personality, mm. especially bipolar. And so that's something I really try to explain to people from the get-go is it has nothing to do with my emotions it's my level of energy that's affected. So it's either I, I have tons of energy or I have no energy or I have my normal amount of energy. And of course, when you have no energy, you feel shitty. When you have tons, you feel amazing and super powerful and like you can do anything. So the way I kind of see it is that your personality gets either amplified or dimmed. Exactly. That's exactly what it would be. And... It becomes not you anymore because actually um, I don't identify with the people and it's not that I'm a different person, but I don't identify with the people that I am when I'm in an episode because if I did, I would be very upset. And I did a lot of therapy to distance myself from my illness and I even gave it a name because I was just like, I can't be that. That's not me, but I have it and I will have it maybe forever until they find a cure. And that's you know, relatively okay. But if I were to say as part of my personality, that'd be really sad. And I think people who know me well can tell. Like I'm a bubbly person, but if I'm in a manic episode, I'm intense and I can be unpleasant. People who don't know me think I'm really hilarious and they're like, wow, life of the party. But like the normal me is like half life of the party, not the party. Same with depression. If I'm like, I look normal, 
and I look made up and I can talk to you like I'm speaking to you now, but I, my, I just look a little more dimmed out. I'm not really paying attention to what you say. You're not fully present. No, not at all. I'm not present at all. You're, you're inside. Inside my head. Yeah. You're inside your head. Yeah. I think someone described it pretty well. They said it's like being in a really dark house with no key and the doors locked from the outside and you're just in the house on your own and it's like really echoey. And I thought that was a really good description of depression. I can imagine that having a support network when you're in that dark house can be hugely beneficial. Yeah, I mean, I still sometimes feel like feels like they're outside of the house tapping in, but at least there's a noise and there's people. This is one thing I, I was hoping to talk on the show about was um, what to do with someone who has depression. Because it's hard to know. Even I sometimes don't know what to do for people. This seems like a good time to do that. Let's do it. So <laughs> I think one of the things I would say is, first of all, the first thing that your friend is going to do or your partner or your parent with depression is start isolating themselves and doubting themselves a lot. And so to make sure that someone is always texting them, calling them or visiting every day. And it's a lot of work. Even if you're not getting any messages back. Absolutely. If you're not getting messages back, that's when it's a sign that the person's not doing well. If they were doing well and you're pretty sure they would answer back, if they're not answering, it's not because they're ignoring you. And I remember looking at my phone thinking, that sounds way too complicated to answer to, or I don't want to tell you for the fifth time in a row that I'm not doing well, because that's not socially acceptable. And most people want to hear that you're doing better. So I would just not answer because I was like, I don't know what to tell you. And so what I started doing was saying, hi, thanks for your message. I don't know what to tell you, but thank you. You know, and then people just knew, okay, she's alive. She's not doing well. I'll go visit her. Um, Is this when people asked you a thing? What do you mean? Like this is when you got maybe a text message like with a question. It was mostly like, how are you? Right. And that's usually... Something I would say too, don't ask someone that you know has depression, don't ask them how they are because they're not well and they might not be well for like six months. So if you ask them every day, how are you? It's almost cruel because every time they have to be like, I'm not okay. So I think the best thing to say is like on a scale of one to 10, how's today? Or what did you do today is actually not also the best because often the answer is nothing. But you can say, hey, did you go for a walk? Or do you need help with your groceries? Or, you know, try to find some alternative questions to how are you? How can I help? Absolutely. And then the person will probably answer, I don't know. Right. But you have to keep going. So you say, okay, I want to be there for you. How about we do something creative together? Because that's a really good way to get someone out of their head. So if you know that the person likes music, do you want to go play some music at the park or do you want to listen to music together? We'll just sit together and listen to music. Do you want to try drawing for the first time in your life? Like, you know, just think of something different and and that keeps you busy. These all sound kind of low stakes where it, it can still be overwhelming, but it's not that overwhelming. Like the barrier to doing it 
is actually kind of low. Like I wouldn't bring someone to a concert. You know, that's a little yeah. intense. But if you say, do you want to be in your living room and, and listen to Radiohead? Actually, that's really depressing. Do you wanna- <laughs> but, you know, when <laughs> you're depressed. Good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you're depressed. Yeah. Uh, or I know when I'm sad, sometimes I'll listen to sad songs yeah. to get extra sad. I know. Absolutely. Yeah. So do you want to be extra sad with me? You know, I, I think it's just saying, do you want to be, I will be with you. That, that's it. That's all you need to do is be there. And uh, it's it's hard. You have to be really patient. I mean, I think my friends were awesome because they all gave each other different tasks with me. So they all, one of them was my sports buddy. And so we went jogging together. The other one was my creative friend. So we did art together. The other one was my talking friend. You know, everyone had their own thing. And that was really fun. I have a friend who who struggles with depression. And I know that when he's not, answering his phone that he's probably depressed yeah and so every now and then i'll send him a message that just says that i'm thinking of him yeah that's it yeah that feels really nice to receive actually and what's cruel with depression is that there's so much shame and so maybe every time he gets that he feels shitty for not answering back but at the same time for a millisecond he felt really good to know that you were thinking about him yeah he sends me messages eventually goes hey man thanks for like reaching out those yeah. four times I've been struggling and I'm like coming out of it. And he remembers those four times for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So keep going, like whoever it is in your life, unless they're dragging you down immensely and they are never there for you in any situation. Just remember that depression and any mental health issue is really selfish. You just go into like a total survival mode. Yeah, I read something today about how to end a relationship with somebody who's who struggles with depression and how hard it is for some people to do that, even though that's the thing that they need to do. Yeah. Either the relationship has actually run its course or they don't feel safe being in that relationship and they need to do what they need to do for self-preservation's sake can be really, really hard to end a relationship with someone who's struggling with depression because you kind of feel responsible. Absolutely even though you're not really responsible and that their depression is not personal to you. No. It can still feel that way. I can't imagine what it must be like to date someone and want to break up with them, not necessarily because of their depression, um, but if they have depression, you keep thinking, what are they going to do and what's going to happen if I break up with them? So I've never broken up with someone with depression Someone broke up with me after my depression, and I broke up with someone after depression. And I remember that during depression, we stayed together probably because I had depression, and we both didn't want to be together anymore, but we both didn't know if it was the depression that made it shitty. And then when I got better, we spent like a month together, and we were like, oh, okay, no, it's the relationship. So that was kind of cool that we tried it out. And in certain situations, I would say, maybe it is the depression speaking. In other situations, if it's really toxic, and even if it is the illness or not, like if it's too toxic for you, I think there's a way to do it that distances the illnesses from the person. 
no matter what, you're going to make that person feel shitty, but they already feel shitty. So I don't think it's your responsibility. Mm. However, there are ways to do it that are more respectful than others. And I think you do have the responsibility to maybe be there after just to make sure that they're okay and not alone. So, you know, maybe call their friends and say, listen, I'm really sorry we broke up. Could you just be there for her mm. or him? If you don't want to be there, you know? Yeah. You said there might be a way to make it less shitty. What does that look like? You speak in an I tone. So, you know, I feel that this isn't working for me and I need space and I, 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 because if you say anything about them, not only will they take it personally, but they will amplify anything you say because of depression. You said separate the person from depression. Is there a way to bring it up? Bring the fact that they're ill? Well, bring the fact that it's not them. It's, you know, like I'm struggling with your with your depression. Like, is that a way to do it? Or would you just not even? Well, I, I've had someone tell me very honestly, it hurt me so much. But I had someone say, I don't know if I want to deal with your illness for the rest of my life. And, you know, he was very clear. He's like, I want to be with you for the rest of my life. But I don't know if I want to deal with your illness for the rest of your life. And sadly, we can't separate them. And that was really hurtful. But he was honest, you know. And and at first I was like, get out of my house. Like, <laughs> But then I, I kind of thought about it. And I thought, would I want to deal with that if I had a choice? I don't know. I, I'd like to hope that I'd say yes. But it's an awkward conversation. Yeah, especially I think, you know, I'm in my 30s now and thinking about having kids someday and it's it's a big conversation to have. Yeah. Um, but I can't really be mad at that person for that because it's not something I can control and I don't want to consider myself undateable because of my illness. And you're not. Hopefully. I, I guess. I mean, yeah. no, I know I'm not. And I, I would tell anybody actually that has any sort of mental health problem, even schizophrenia is, you know, I'd say probably the most severe form of mental health disorders. And I know so many people who have amazing lives and amazing relationships and kids. And as long as they're careful, they can have an amazing life and they do. So it's not something to be too scared about but it's also not something that you can tackle on your own no i no i mean i have a friend who keeps going off of his meds and every time he goes off his meds he like disappears for months what does he have uh i'm not sure okay. exactly because that's another thing too i think um part of the illness sometimes tells you to stop taking your meds like once you're better so that's what happens to him all the time yeah there's some He's people like, oh, I get- could do this without meds. And then turns out he can't. And that's another thing I would tell people. Do not suggest or ask ever that anyone stop their meds. That is their decision. Even if you're married to them, that's their decision. It's their body. And it's like asking someone with diabetes, like, hey, could you stop taking your insulin for a few weeks? Like, It's bumming me out. It's not an option. And for some people it is, but it could be really dangerous. And just like you could see with your friend, it's something that keeps coming back. It's at some point you got to get the message. Yeah. And every time he goes, oh, man, it happened again. 
I thought I can go off my meds and I, and I yeah. did and I, and I can't, you know? And so he has to get back in touch with the psychiatrist and they have to like, you know, tweak the dosage all over again. And it takes him, it takes him out for months. I had to uh, do therapy almost just for that, actually, to accept taking medication for that long because it was really affecting my body. And so that's a topic I wanted to bring up, too, is medication we'll on your go body. There. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes you gain weight. It makes your vision blurry. It makes your appetite kind of weird. Um, your sex life can be totally different. So there's some very, I mean, your kidneys and, and your liver, everything's affected by medication. So of course people are scared and they want to stop. But what I would say is what happens when you stop? Are you out of touch with life for six months? Then was it worth it? No. So you started talking about physical effects of medication mm -hmm. on your body, on your sex life, on your relationships, on your way of thinking and feeling and doing. Yeah. How do we deal with that? I was thinking about it on the way here, and I remember... Is this before you got hit by a car? That was before I got hit by a car. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. To be clear, you got doored, not got hit by a doored. car. doored. But that's traumatic as well. Yeah. I, I feel okay, though. I just a little bruised up. I'm bummed that happened to you, by the way. Yeah. Thank you. That sucked. It's a good way to start the day. So... Can't get worse. Right? It just goes uphill from here. <laughs> Oh, man. My friends are going to laugh if they hear this part because I have been given bubble wrap for my birthday before because I, I injure myself a lot. I won't edit it out. Okay. So that Perfect. your friends can... So I get friends. more bubble wrap for my birthday. Exactly. So I, I would compare medication in a bottle. So like your pill, pill bottle, um, if you're carrying it with you, because some people have to take it many times a day. And it can be embarrassing if you're like, you know you open your bag and all your pills are coming out and you don't want people to see that. But that's sort of like a, a tampon in a bag, right? It shouldn't be embarrassing. And somehow for some reason it is. And I think that's something that hopefully will change with time. Like slowly, but surely so many people are medicated, whether that's a good or a bad thing. And when it comes to the effects on your body, it can take years for you to find what helps you psychologically and then that doesn't affect you too much physically. And it's trial and error, which is horrible. And you just feel like you're in a, a lab rat for hopefully a few months for some people. I mean, it took me years. Um, but now that I know, I mean, it feels great to not have to worry about that. But for symptoms, sex drive and being able to have an erection or an orgasm is really affected by yeah. Antidepressant. Or, or lubrication. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know. And so they try having sex and they realize they can't or is this really complicated or painful. And then they freak out and they think that they've lost it, even though they're in their mid-20s. And I wish the doctors told you. And I talked to my doctor about it and he said, well, no one would want to take them if they knew. And he said, we do tell them when they ask. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, that's wild. And he said, do you really think that a 25-year-old man would want to take antidepressants if he knew that he wouldn't be able to have an erection? I was like, fair point. I got to think about that real quick. Think about it. It's hard for me to answer this question because like, I don't struggle with depression. But I feel like if I was 
deeply depressed, I don't think I would want to have sex anyways. Yeah. So I would be like, maybe I'd prefer to be happier or at least back to a baseline than have an erection. But I also was... I had a lot of erections as a 25-year-old, and I have a hard time choosing one or the other. Like, it shouldn't be a choice. Um, But I remember when I realized that it was affecting me, and now, thank God, I found something that doesn't. Um, And that's another thing. You can ask your doctor, like, what can I do and what can I take? And there's, there's either alternative medications that don't do that, or you can actually kind of plow through it sometimes, and then your body gets a little used to it. Yeah, or supplemental. Yeah. Medication. As well. Little yeah. blue pills or little other, pills. other yeah. little pink pills. So there's all sorts of things you can do. I mean, it can just take a little bit longer to have sex as well, you know? So your erections now? They're are- great. <laughs> ha ha. Um, Ladies get boners too, okay? Yeah, we, we get lady boners for sure. Uh, no, my life, my sex life is really good. Thanks for asking. Um, yeah, I think where it was affecting me at first I remember thinking I'm unusual for someone who has depression because I like having sex still because it seemed to have been the only thing that brings me back in my body. So for me, it was almost a weird obsession of like, I have to connect physically with myself and with someone. And it seems to me that the only way right now is through sex. And so when I realized I couldn't even have sex or I could, but the other person was enjoying it and I wasn't, that was just brutal because I thought well what is the point of all of this you know my my former roommate is a man and he had problems with uh, his sex life and he's talked to his doctor about it and now he, he just switched medications and now it's better so there are solutions you just have to talk about it like don't be afraid to ask your old man doctor or woman don't be embarrassed just go for it there are options. Yes. But we, you got to talk about it. Yeah. And that's something people don't really talk about. They really don't. And I wish they did. Uh, do people not feel safe talking to their doctor? It's weird. I mean, I think you're so... The, the, often the question that is asked is, do you have a libido? But no one ever asks, are you able to have an orgasm? And I think it's very different things. Right. The libido is more about desire to have yeah. sex. Yeah, and so if you say my desire is back, they check the box and then go, great, okay, so you're better. So it's it's a sign that you're getting better. But if you're not able to have an orgasm, it's really frustrating because, yeah. Or if you're not able to get wet or hard. Exactly. I mean, you could have a desire yeah. and then have some of the functionality be reduced. Exactly. That still makes it kind of a bummer. Yeah. And it's hard on the partner because I've had guys thinking they weren't doing the right things. And I kept trying to say it was my meds and they were like, mm-hmm. And. Oh my God. Guys. Right. Are like God's gift to women or something. And everything depends on their performance for some reason. Yeah. And, and for guys, I can imagine it would be embarrassing for that reason. If they can't perform as much as they used to. Oh, because their penis can't get hard? Yeah. Well, there's other parts. Your fingers are always hard. I know. There's so much that can be done. Yeah. Doesn't get all limp and flaccid. There are so many things. But men are really attached to their penises working. Yeah. And I I wish um, people talked more during sex 
anyways. But I think that if you are worried about the effects of your medication on your sex life, you just go for it. Like talk about it. It has to come up. Yeah. Because or else that, I mean, what we're talking about here is normalizing a behavior that should be more talked about. Mm-hmm. And the fact is when we experience shame and we don't talk and we don't connect and we close it down, we're not modeling healthy behavior. Yeah. And I think it can become like a fun thing with your partner to try to experience like, okay, this is a challenge. What will you like? And what will make you come? And you just... Or what will bring you pleasure? Yeah. Not everybody can Yeah, no, exactly. What will make you a little bit happier? And for me, for a long time, sex wasn't even about pleasure because I couldn't really feel pleasure. It was just having a moment of peace in my mind and connection with my body and a connection with another person. And if that's something I could tell a partner who has sex with someone with depression is they might seem like a limp body right now, but what you can do for them is is try to help them connect with their body. Like I had an ex-boyfriend who was amazing. He was just kind of massaging me and like touching me in different areas and being like, do you feel this? And do you like this? And it was just kind of reconnecting a meditative, you know, moment together. Yeah. Exploration. Yeah. Without expectation. Yeah. Which actually should be all the time, but. That's a bumper sticker but <laughs> hold on i'm just gonna write this down yeah i'm 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 hearing what i'm hearing is that even though there might be an absence of pleasure what was really in- important for you is connection yeah with your body yeah and with another person yeah with another person and another human because that's the thing that's the d- most difficult part of depression is um and anxiety i would say is really connecting with your now and the present moment. And you're either too far away in the past, too far away in a deep, dark hole, or too far in the future, and you're not connecting with the present. So it's really about trying as hard as you can physically with someone else to do it. And how do you connect with your body when you sort of feel numb? I started self massage for a long time so at first it was like pinching myself couldn't feel anything then I would slowly massage myself out of my anxiety for example Um, that was a way for me to breathe better I would massage my feet to try to chill my head I'd ask my partners to do it too Uh, masturbation is a way to connect with your body for sure even if it's the same effect, you know, medication still affects that part for sure. But yeah, then you kind of discover, okay, so what works, what wasn't there for me that time. It's just a way to try to connect for sure. Yeah, it sounds like you have to try different techniques. Sometimes you'll mm-hmm. get a sensation from doing it slow. Sometimes you might have to pinch yourself. Yeah. So exploring what is coming up, what elicits a sensation what feels good what doesn't feel good yeah and and really that's part of of having a mental health problem and the shame that comes with it is i mean i was never someone who is violent towards myself but i know a lot of people who are that's a really part of big part of the depression and so they are in touch with their body and that's their only way of feeling something is to injure self-harm 
And so how do you reconnect with your body in a way that you're not actually hurting yourself is another issue. And how do you, so for example, my roommate is a tattoo artist and that is her way to own her own body. Like she tattoos most of her body. And instead of self-harming, she makes art with her skin, you know, but that's her way of kind of owning it and being in touch with her body mm. in a healthy way. Does she have a lot of tattoos on the front and not so many on the back? <laughs> I'll have to ask her when I get home. Um, no, but I, I thought that was a really nice way also to cover up the shame that she had with her body. Um, now she really likes her tattoos. And so that's really nice. You know, another thing about medication again is that a lot of people gain weight. And so they're super ashamed of their new shape. It's really not cool. You know, you're trying to get better. You're trying to be self-confident and love yourself. And suddenly you've gained 30 pounds. And you certainly probably don't want to exercise. No. If you don't have the motivation to get out of bed. And sometimes even if you do, you could be a marathon runner. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but you could run a lot, and but your medication will always make you gain weight. It won't matter what you do. Exactly. Yeah. And it's it's not cool, but it's a reality. And the other thing is, yeah, everyone tells people with depression, oh, you have to do exercise. You have to do exercise. But that's literally the hardest thing to do is to get up, go, run, anything. It's really hard. So I think you, you got to start slowly. But that was actually the best way for me to connect with my body. So there was sex, but there was exercise. And one of them was being out of breath outside mm. because there were so many sensations. So it was like cold wind. My body is struggling to breathe. I'm hitting the pavement. Um, smells, sounds. Smells, sounds, yeah. Just intensity. Swimming, super intense, right? There's like water. There's people. Chlorine in your body. In your nostrils. It's horrible. <laughs> yeah, just stuff like that, really. Actually, that's the best advice my therapist gave me was to just be very um, physical mm. in my depression. Kickboxing. Kickboxing feels amazing. <laughs> When you're, and that's another thing too, allow yourself to feel angry because it's okay to be angry. Racket sports. You can, you can just hit the shit out of something. Exactly. Ball sports. Yeah. Soccer. You know, it's my mom did once with me. She brought me into a forest and she gave me a stick and she said, I want you to hit. Okay. I'm sorry. Tree huggers here. But um, she wanted me to hit things with the stick in the forest. And I was like, what are you doing? And she said, you just need to get your anger out, you know? And so I just started like hitting stuff. And I realized how good it felt <laughs> to just be angry and allow myself to be angry and to just hit things. That's called emotional release. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> the whole technique around yeah. emotional release. Yeah. Um, there's a question here that I'm pretty interested in exploring which is, you know, as a, as a caregiver, how do you protect your own mental health when you're trying to support someone else's mental health? I think to go to therapy for yourself, ideally. I'm a huge fan of therapy, by right, the way. Right, Everybody knows this about me, but yeah, if you're not in therapy, you should be. I think therapy would be my number one piece of advice because you need a place to go complain. 
you need a safe space where you can say, I'm so sick of this person. I'm so sick of taking care of this person. I'm too ashamed to even say that. I can't tell that person that. It's okay to think that it's too much. So that when you come home, you can tell them you love them and you do. The other thing too is I think some people will do and give too much of themselves and don't have any space to themselves. Sometimes you need to move away, move out. If it's your parent, for example, you don't have to live with them if they don't feel good. A lot of people feel very responsible. Even partners can take some time off from each other. I mean, I know a friend who was living with his girlfriend and they both had mental health issues and they both lived in separate apartments until they got better. You have to take space. You yeah. might have to take space. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to put your oxygen mask on first. I know. It's such a cliche, but it's good. Yeah. And don't take it personally. Yeah. Yeah. Your person's mental health. That's is, a hard one. Is it? From what I've noticed, because I remember friends and family and ex boyfriends trying to do everything to make me happy. And I was never happy. But what they had a hard time realizing was I couldn't physically be happy. I couldn't feel anything and I couldn't enjoy anything. So if you got me a present for my birthday, I was faking it when I said I liked it because I didn't feel it. If I had opened that gift when I was feeling myself, I would have loved it. And, and so you have to remember that person. You have to remember, like, my best friend said something that really, you know, it made me cry was there's still a flame in your eyes and it's still you and I could see like deep down in your eyes that you're still there every time she said that I was like meh brushing it off you know no that's not me anymore I will never come back to myself and and eight months later you know I'm back to myself so yeah don't take it personally harder to do but still pretty imperative mm -hmm. try to you can also call people out I've had to do that with a friend with depression because she would say that she had terrible depression and suicidal thoughts and then she wouldn't answer my messages for two weeks. And then I was thinking the worst. Right. So I said, that's unacceptable. And you do have to answer me just to say that you're safe and alive. That's all I need to know. An emoji. Yes. Just a thumbs up, man. Yeah. Or a thumbs down. Or a thumbs down, but at least I know. At least I know. Yeah. So I think it's a, it's a question of respect, too, because people are doing things for you. And it's just no matter how selfishly low you are, you do also have to remember that these people want you to get better, even if they're annoying and they're saying all the wrong things sometimes. Yeah. I can just imagine how hard it must be to really feel like no one cares and to still garner the energy required to to send a message to somebody mm -hmm. yeah or you feel like people give you advice that's just redundant and it's you know did you try eating kale and <laughs> are you jogging and you just hear everything and so you you need people to listen and just be there not tell you what to do i heard that if you're struggling for words to say to someone who's battling mental illness, let those be the words. Hey, I don't really know what to say, but I just want to let you know that I'm here for you. 
Absolutely. There's actually cards, like get well cards that have messages like that. And there's a company online, I think it's called Sugar Mama Cookies or something. And it's a woman who makes cookies for people with depression. And it's great. It's all things that say, um, I'm fine or relatively stable or congratulations, you got out of bed today. Um, That's a great card, you know. And that's something you need to tell people too. If they come to your party, you got to realize they really don't want to be there. And so you have to be very open. Thank you so much for coming. I know it's hard. means a lot to me. Is there anything I can do to make you comfortable tonight? There's an empty bedroom in the back of the house you can just go hide out in. Go have a nap. I'll bring you a piece of cake. Exactly. You can only stay 10 minutes if you want to stay 10 minutes and run away. I'm kicking you out in 10 minutes. (laughs) And here's a... Here's a coupon for a pizza or something. Oh, I wish I would have done that. Yeah, there, there's just so many things that you could say. It, it doesn't feel natural to not give advice. Oh, yeah. I feel like giving unsolicited advice is really detrimental. Mm-hmm. Like I can't stand it when someone gives me unsolicited advice. I mean, you pay people for that. Yeah, they're called consultants. Exactly. I don't even give advice as a coach. Like I, I will sometimes give a suggestion only, but I've, I will have checked with you first to see if you want it. Are you lead them towards them realizing something? Yeah. Coaching is a lot, is a lot about creating awareness and responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, everything else is consulting. That's, it's totally different. My therapist never tells me what to do and I'm sure he wanted to many times. I mean, when I realized certain things about myself, he was just almost jumping out of his chair, you know? I wish I'd, you'd said this six months ago, but no, nope, it took you their... six months to realize it, but... Yeah, that's not their job. Mm-mm. Therapist's job is also to create awareness and, and more, a lot of like insight towards past behaviors mm-hmm. and past experiences and how they relate to today. Mm-hmm. But I remember one of my therapists gave me a piece of advice once and before giving me the advice, he goes, you know, I'm going to, I don't, I don't give you advice very often, but I'm going to right now. And he did about a situation. And then I thought back and he was right. Like in two years, he had never given me advice. Mm-hmm. And I had wished that he had told me that I was like a drug addict, alcoholic, <laughs> you know, instead of me taking a year and a half to figure it out on my own. But yeah. I think if he had told me that, I would have left. Yeah. And so I think that's the danger of, of giving people advice is that, you know, we sort of need to figure it out on our own. Yeah. We want support for yeah. sure. But giving people unsolicited advice is not the way to create awareness and lasting change. Yeah. It's a good way to like piss people off. Yeah. When it comes to thought patterns with mental health and thought patterns, some of them you can work on. So some of them you can work on your perception of, of life and perception of failure and success and perception of what your life was supposed to look like or your relationships. However, some of it is just not rational. And so when someone's telling you, try to be positive or try to this or that, it's, it's literally an illness telling you that you are not okay. So there's nothing rational about it. So there's no point giving advice, trying to tell the person to fight with this inner voice when it's not a rational voice. But there are definitely ways to work on that. Is that you asking me? Such as? Well, I'm not a licensed therapist, but 
I think putting things into perspective. So I used to want to people please a lot and make sure that everyone was happy. And I think that now I try to realize that it's just not in my control. Dealing with plan B or C or D in my life is now a regular occurrence where I used to be super disappointed if plan A didn't happen. My expectations of where I was supposed to be or who I was supposed to be are completely different. Yeah, I think I was constantly disappointed in my life, even though my life was amazing. And now I realize like the bar could be so low and it could still be really cool. You're talking about non-attachment. Mm-hmm. Which is, I mean, helpful to everybody all the time. Yeah. You know, we are really, really attached to outcomes and yeah. to our future and to our, you know, our best life ever. And, and sometimes actually often letting go of those expectations mm-hmm. for what our life is going to look like can lead to something a little bit more exciting than this, you know, sort of limiting way that we we'd seen it. I, I even once told someone I don't think I'm good enough to have bipolar disorder. I said, I don't think I can deal with it. It's too complicated. It's too hard. And because even in my illness, I felt like I needed to be the best at taking care of it. And I remember my doctor being like, let go, you know, just doesn't matter if you're shit at dealing with it, you'll get better and you'll learn And you do, you just learn how to deal with it. And yeah, sometimes I'm angry if I feel a bit tired because I realized I know I should have gone to bed earlier and me being tired can really affect me. And so, yeah, I think it's something that that you learn, but you certainly, because people would be like, oh, you know, I'm pretty sure Kanye West has bipolar disorder. And then my first thought was, well, first of all, I don't want to be Kanye, but second of all, do I have to be a successful rapper or musician to have this? No, but you have to be at least as successful as Kanye. Right. So that's where my mind would go, you know, which is crazy. The bar is pretty high. It's pretty high. I'd have to marry my own version of Kim Kardashian. Oh boy. Letting go sucks. It's hard for everybody. Taking care of yourself sucks. Really does. I mean, jogging, sleeping, Eating, eating, cooking, cooking, so much work. Friends, work. Yeah. Keeping your house clean. The basics are actually really not that fun. And I think once you've got that and once you understood that and once you take care of those things, you're, you usually get better to a point where you can start having fun. It's hard to take care of a body, mm-hmm. even without depression. Did you ever play Sims? Uh, no. Oh, okay. Uh, Sim City? Kind of. It was like before that. You had to take care of little humans and you had a battery life and you had to feed them and and take care of them. And sometimes they died if you didn't. Tamagotchis? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) I never had a Tamagotchi. Yeah, but you you get it. Yeah. I don't have that nurture instinct. Right. (laughs) Well, you take care of your dog pretty well. I do now. Yeah. Oh no, what happened? What? What do you mean now? No, I mean, I have the nurture instinct now. Mm. Poor Roger. Look at him. Oh, <laughs> he has a hard life. He's got the best life ever. <laughs> Is there anything that we didn't touch on that we would be doing people a disservice if we didn't touch on? Maybe last one would be self-love. Mm. But that's How hard is that to do when you're feeling I think it's pretty the, down on yourself? I think it's the hardest one. Um, I think most people 
with depression or anxiety do really well with loving others. That like it's still, even though it's hard to connect, often they'll stay alive. And I'm sorry if this sounds really dark, but they stay alive for other people. Wow. Um, that's why I was saying that a social network is so important because if someone forgot how to love themselves and forgot how important they are, if other people are there, at least they'll think, oh, I can't do this to them. Right. So that's the first level of survival. It's like selfish, selfless. Yeah, absolutely. It's very strange feeling. And so, I mean, if that works, at least you're still alive. You're good. And then you could fall into the category of very difficult self-love. And and that's the one that takes therapy and time. And, and um, once you realize that you can take care of yourself, I think that's a pretty good sign of, of self-love. I think a lot of it also comes down to compassion towards yeah. your illness and mm-hmm. yourself and where you are in your life and a little bit of understanding that this is probably a temporary feeling, mm-hmm. even though it'll come back. Um, it's also just really hard to to garner that kind of compassion for oneself sometimes. Another thing my, my therapist told me to do that I used to think was strange was to thank my dark voices. So say thank you to your depression because it's trying to tell you something. And it's trying to tell you to take care of yourself. And once you thank it, then you can move on. But if you do what most people do is, no, 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 I don't want to think about this. I don't want to feel like this. I'm refusing to feel like this. Um, I'm a loser. I'm a this, I'm a that. I just want to get better. I just want to get better. It's very counterproductive. I have, like, I don't struggle with depression, but you know, I definitely feel blue sometimes. That's what I call it. Yeah. Um, there's that Elton John song. It's like, what is it? Mm-hmm. And I guess that's why they call it the blues. Um, <laughs> I feel blue sometimes. And I know that fighting that feeling just prolongs it. Yeah. And welcoming it mm-hmm. and saying like, oh, hey, hey there, sadness. Yeah. Welcome back. Yeah. And just sit, like sitting with it and not trying to distract away from it. And mm-hmm. and also knowing that I can probably get through the day with this. Yeah. You know, I've done it before. I'll do it again. Helps. And then if it's there for too long, at some point you got to start ignoring it. Sort of like the passenger in the car that's telling you the wrong direction. So you're acknowledging it's in the car but you know where you're going and you don't want to go left and they're telling you to go left. So I think at some point you're not ignoring it fully. You're acknowledging it, but you don't listen to it so much. Yeah, you're making a choice. Yeah. And that's really empowering. And it really, really helps with self-love is to realize that you do have the choice and you do have some power, even though you feel like a vegetable. I have... I realized at some point that I am not my thoughts because mm-hmm. I can have some pretty dark thoughts mm-hmm. and I can, my negative self-talk can be really powerful sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's really important for me to realize that the shit that goes on in my head is not who I am. I mean, the hamster wheel can be really, really powerful sometimes. 
and to just recognize it as as what it is like i'm a thought machine and it doesn't mean that i'm a bad person just because i have thought about pushing somebody in front of a bus or myself in front of a bus or whatever the weird thoughts are i have these thoughts of um sometimes in public places like especially during like somebody speaking mm-hmm. saying something really horrible it's a really common thing actually about I, that person in like really loudly oh really oh what <laughs> oh wow okay so like insulting them yeah totally in like in public see my brother imagines himself punching people on a regular basis yeah i think that's a, the yeah. that's the physical manifestation of that sort yeah. of <laughs> thought process <laughs> verbally punching someone but it doesn't mean that I actually want to. It doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. It just means that I have impulsive thoughts and like a lot of our thoughts are impulsive. So once you know that the image of you pushing someone in front of a train is not normal and it's not, well, no, sorry, take that back, is a normal thought, but you shouldn't do it and you don't want to do it. That's right. And it is not your will to do it. Then you can realize that any negative thought is the same thing. I feel terrible for people with OCD, for example, that have obsessive thoughts about pushing people in front of a train. Like, it just won't stop. And so they have to distance themselves from that, you know? Yeah. We're not our thoughts. We are not our thoughts. Last question. Mm -hmm. Define love, please. Oh, my goodness. Do you say that to everybody? Wow, are you not a regular listener of the podcast? I mean, of course, I knew you were going to ask me that. (laughs) I think love is everything. And I think it's, it's a way to grow, you know, into yourself, but also in a community. I think it's just very important for humans to have a life for themselves and, and together is how I would put it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. I went on a podcast once and at the end of the podcast, she asked me to tell her a story. And I was like totally taken aback by it because I wasn't expecting that. So you didn't tell anything? No, I did. (laughs) But she was like, do not listen to my podcast. That's the worst. Yeah. Just not all the way through. Okay. Yeah. Hey, lovebirds, thank you so much for spending this time with me this week. If you are struggling with mental illness, please, please reach out to a trusted professional, whether a therapist, psychiatrist, doctor. If you don't know who to call, you can type in a mental health hotline on Google, and Google will give you phone numbers of local hotlines that you can call. And just reach out to somebody if you are struggling. I know it's hard just ask somebody for help. And that is all I have to say today. Thank you again for spending this time with me and have a beautiful week.